Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good afternoon, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Everybody good? Yeah. You guys look awesome. Thank you for being here. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. Last week, we started a brand new series called Come let us adore him. And we just kind of entered into that Advent season. And if you're not familiar with Advent, it's just a tradition that a, a lot of Christians from all around the world uh, just kind of lean into where we're remembering, we're revisiting the stories, we're reminding ourselves of what the meaning and the point of Christmas is. And we've just encouraged people to grab a, an Advent journal or to go back and read the story. And, 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 you know, the story has so many components to it. And every year we try to take out one slice of that. And this year I want to focus in, and, and it's what we started last week, on the idea of worship. That when you read the story of Christmas, you see that worship is a, a central part of what happens on that very first Christmas. So we said that worship is our response. So at the baseline, it's a response. It's our response to God for who he is, for who he's revealed himself to us through scriptures, for who he's revealed to him as a very personal God that he is. Amen. Everybody's personal God. And then for what he's done, for who he is and for what he's done. And somehow when we can get that in view, when we understand who God is and what God's done, then it, it elicits a response for us. And sometimes that response shows up in physical acts, like, you know, you see people clapping their hands in church or raising their hands or even may, maybe getting down on their knees, which we see all through the Bible. It, it shows up in musical things like singing and, of course, playing music. It, it shows up in practical things like just how we live our lives, the decisions we make about how we're going to handle uh, our lives, the, the worldview that we're going to adopt to look at the world through the lens of, of Scripture. It, it, even, it even shows up in the way we handle our resources, our finances, our time, our energy. All of that is a, is a response to who God is um, and for what he's done. And what we said last week is that when you read through this Christmas story um, from, from Matthew chapters 1 and 2 and Luke chapters 1 and 2, you see in almost every one of the characters, not all of them, but almost every one of them, when they hear the good news from an angel or whomever, or when they actually go and see the child, that their response in almost every case is just worship and joy and awe and, and, and wonder. So that gives us the big idea of, of the series, when you understand the Christmas story. And listen, I know many of you have been Christians maybe your whole life long. You've, you've heard the story countless times in countless ways, but just because we hear it doesn't mean we understand it. And when we understand, like when we really get it, the only reasonable response to what you see, what you hear, what you learn, what you understand is, is worship. My opinion. You don't have to share it with me, but that's my uh, opinion. So I want to talk today about joy, which is a central theme around Christmas anyways. Like you go to Target right now, and they're selling things that just say joy, right? Joy is everywhere. I remember last year, I went into this Lowe's right over here. Uh, in Alamo Ranch, and right when you walk in, there was a giant joy. Like, it was like this tall, the letters were like this big, and I was like, ha, gotta have that joy. And I looked at the ticket, and it was 1200 bucks. Don't have to have any joy in my house. We're, we're not having joy. It's 1200 bucks. I don't need it. Come on, it's just wire and lights. Um, but joy is a, is, a big, is a big deal. But what I want to ask you is, when was the last time that you experienced real 
joy. You know the kind of joy that just you can't sort of contain, whether it's something that happens and you just you, you, you crack up or you just you know, let out a, 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 I don't know, a squeal. That's a terrible word. I hate saying that. Of joy, right? Whatever the news was, whatever the event that happened that, that it created, elicited joy in you that you just couldn't contain. So I was thinking about that this week for me. Like, and, and, and I'm going to pull out one that's from, from a, quite a while ago, and I've had more joy since then. But I remember where I was on Memorial Day of 1999. Now, some of you are new to San Antonio, um, but some of you are, were born and raised here. You're puro San Antonio. Come on, anybody know what I'm saying like that right now? So I grew up on the west side, so our mall was Ingram Mall. Like, you guys don't even know. Do you all know that there's an Ingram Mall in our town? Some of you have never been there. But, like, let me tell you how, how it was back in our day. Like, we didn't have snow and we didn't have sleds, so my mom would take us to J.C. Penney's at Ingram Mall, and there was a big hill with grass, and we'd cut out cardboard, and we would slide down the hill for fun. Like, that was our day of fun. Anybody feeling me on that? Yeah, a couple of, a couple of you been down that hill. Just me and him, apparently, right? Come on. <laughs> well, at the other end of the mall was Sears. Now, some of you don't know about Sears because it doesn't exist either anymore, right? But, but on that day, 1999 Memorial Day, I'll never forget it as long as I lived. There was a Sears there, and it, the Sears in those days had a little special section that was kind of like, like its own room where it had just TVs. Do y'all remember these days? Had just TVs, and so here I am with a lot of other dudes. There's a couple of girls there too, there's a lot of other dudes, and what was happening on the screens was the San Antonio Spurs in the Western Conference Finals facing the Portland Trailblazers. Game two, we're about to lose. The ball kicks out to Sean Elliott, far corner. As he's falling out of bounds, he throws the ball up, three-pointer, nothing but net, and Sears goes nuts, man. We were screaming and yelling, bumping chests with people, bro-hugging dudes. We didn't even know each other. It was like just joy unspeakable and full of glory, First Peter says, right? Like, so when was the last time you felt that kind of joy? That's question number one. Question number two, um, how much joy are you experiencing right here, right now in this season? In, in a season that is meant to create and cause joy, how much joy are you actually experiencing right now? Like if there was a gauge for joy in your heart, would it be, would it be closer to the E, like for, like it, I mean, I'm sorry, the F or full or like a lot of your cars are right now, is it closer to the E and you're just kind of hanging in there hoping you can make it down to the Valero? Aren't you guys glad for the new technology? It's like 17 miles. I'm still good, man. Because back in the day, we'd be just like, I feel like I'm all right. I feel like I'm okay. It feels good. I mean, I think I got like seven more miles, right? But, but if you're being honest, um, how close are you to the E or to, or to the full? What, 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 I, what, I, what, I, what we're trying to do in this series just is to recapture some of that joy that we're meant to experience and, and, and that awe and that wonder and that worship in the season, particularly for those of you who would say, Danny, if I'm being honest, man, I'm a little closer to the E when it comes to joy. So, so I want to take us to a story in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. This is a famous part of the, of the story. And it says, and there were shepherds. Now notice this, they were living out in the field. So I want to give you something to be grateful for. You're like, like, I don't like my apartment, man. I, don't, I wish we could have a new house. Don't try to buy a house right now. Come on, they're expensive. Can I get a witness on that? Right? But at least you're not living out in a field. right? Because the shepherds, they weren't hanging out in the field. They were, come on, they were living out in the field. And they were living in the fields nearby. Nearby what? Well, we just heard that Jesus was born right before this. 
in Bethlehem. So they're nearby Bethlehem. They're keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory, I want you to underline that if you have your Bibles out, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. We're going to come back to that. And they were, of course, terrified. An angelic being just shows up in the dark when you're sleepy, watching your sheep, and they're terrified. And so here's what the, shepherd, the angel says. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Easy for him to say, because he's the one that showed up. But he says, I bring you what? Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Notice that, for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the, say this with me, the Messiah, the anointed one. That's what it means. The Lord, Christ the Lord. I want to... I want to just make sure we understand this word here because it's at the heart of the Christmas story of the Advent season. Some of you are not familiar with the Bible. You don't, you're not Christians yet or you're new or you're kind of checking it out. So Messiah is a word that would have had deep, deep meaning to the Jewish people and the nation of Israel at the time of, of Jesus' coming. They were under the oppression, under the occupation of the Roman Empire, as much of the world as as almost all of the known world was. And they had been looking for generations, for literally for centuries, for the coming Messiah that had been prophesied. They had read in Isaiah chapter 42. They had read in Isaiah 61. They know these. They've been taught these since they were kids. Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Daniel 9, Micah 5, and a myriad of others. They know that a redeemer, a rescuer uh, has been promised to them and they they had been looking for generations. And, And I want to give you this because you need to understand this. There is your Old Testament, and then there is your New Testament. The Old Testament is that first part of the book. Sometimes it's complex. Sometimes it's hard to understand. But what you see in it is that once the nation of Israel is born, Abraham is their father, you know, the father of many nations. And there's Jacob, and, and there's Isaac, and there's all of these things that happen. But each, in each case, they would grow up, and they would say, oh, God is our God. And then they would, they, would, they would have countries around them that worshiped other gods, and they would run away from God, and they would run to the idols of the nations around the world. And God would send a prophet, or God would send a king like Samuel or David, and say, come, return to me, return to me. You see see this all throughout Amos and, and Ezekiel. You see this return to me. It's the th- great theme of the Old Testament. Keep coming back to me. And they would for a season and they would stop. And finally, so much of this happens that, that, that God allows uh, um, these countries to come and take them into captivity. So the book of Daniel is written uh, from captivity. And there's all these books that are written from captivity. And, and, and before long, at the end of their Old Testament, just catch this with me. 400 years pass between the last part of the Old Testament and when John the Baptist starts going out, repent. 400 years of silence. No prophets. No kings that were declaring the praises of God. No word from God. 400 years. Can you imagine the desperation, the heart of the people looking for Messiah so that when he comes... They miss him because they miss the mission 
of the Messiah. What they were looking for was a kind of king who would set up a physical kingdom, not a spiritual kingdom as Jesus comes to set up, who would overthrow the Roman government and establish a new kind of kingdom where they were the rulers, not the ones being ruled. And so they were thinking in terms of, of, of a military coup or, or a political overthrow that, that, would, that would change the government and change their lives. And so they underestimated the role of the Messiah as a spiritual one to deliver them as they were hoping for, but not from Rome, but from sin and from, from, from Satan. They, they didn't understand that his kingdom was spiritual, not political, so that when they missed him, when he came, because they, did, he did not fit their ideas of what a Messiah should do, and, and, and I, I'm going to squeeze this in at the risk of offending maybe somebody. So, some people think that in our country and in our world that it's political forces that are needed to change uh, our world and our country but it wasn't true then, and it isn't true now. This is a very spiritual thing that we're in right now, and we still need Jesus, the Messiah. We still need him more than ever. But, but there were others like Mary and Joseph and the Magi and the shepherds who saw beneath the veneer um, of, of what was expected of, of a Messiah. And then when they see Jesus, when they hear about Jesus, they recognize him. He's the one. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah, God's chosen one to save us from our sins. And when they did, their response to him, to that knowledge, to that news was worship and glory and majesty. Can you see, after 400 years of silence, can you see why the, the wise men say they were exceedingly joyful and with great joy? Because they've been waiting for this. So, so, so back to the story. The angels say to the shepherd. The angel says to the shepherd, it's good news that will cause great joy. It's an interesting thing in, in our culture that we talk about Christmas and joy, and we intertwine them deeply, but it's used, I've been watching the commercials, they started back in October for Christmas, can I get an amen on that, right, right? And, and all of it is about joy for coffee, and joy for cars, and joy for stuff. I saw one two days ago that it was like, it will cause great joy when you go into Ulta, and I was like, I don't even know what Ulta is, but I feel positive that when I walk in there, I'm not going to get great joy. Somebody said a, a last service that it was makeup or, or something. I was like, maybe for some, that's a joyful thing, right? Um, everybody thinks joy is a good thing to experience. But, but I think if we took a poll at, in our country right now, very few people are experiencing that joy to the degree that they would hope that they would. And in spite of our desire for more joy, why don't we see more people experiencing great joy, which the angels prophesied, right? Particularly this season, and what we learn instead from all the data that surrounds it from psychologists and, and healthcare experts is that instead of more joy, a lot of people are having more anxiety, and they're more busier. They're, they're busier than ever. I mean, I've talked to many people just this, today, this morning, how you doing? Busy, busy. Well, that's how you're doing. You're busy, right? Right. If you said that to me, I, I'm not trying to make fun of you, okay? You're like, hey, that's, I'm writing him up. Anyways, um, we're, we're, we're more busy. We're, we're more lonely. There's more emptiness at the bottom of it all and more debt, right? You're like, but you're talking about joy, bruh. <laughs> Say something joyful, all right? right? But, but here's the question. Are we actually missing something in this season that is causing us not to experience joy and instead to experience the other things. And I guess if you were a shepherd in the time of Jesus, you might be able to identify with those feelings of less joy and more anxiety and fear. Shepherds were considered 
by the religious people as spiritually unclean because of their occupation. They were sort of at the bottom of the barrel when it came to jobs. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. It was like, you know, dirty jobs with Mike Rowe. Anybody? Yeah, it was like, it was like that kind of a job. And you only do it if you have no other job or your dad makes you do it because he's a shepherd. It's not a fun gig staying up all night sleeping with sheep. But, but isn't it interesting that when, the, the, when God decides to announce the birth of Jesus by, with an angel, he shows up to them, the shepherds. Why them of all people? Why not the religious leaders? Why not the priests and the sort of prophets and, and you know, the, 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 the spiritual people? So, so he actually does. Something that gets overlooked in the Christmas story is that when the Magi, when the wise men, who we're going to talk about next week, when, when they show up to go see Jesus, they don't go straight to Bethlehem. They come to Jerusalem first. If you read the story, they go to Jerusalem. Because they're important, because they're wealthy, they get an audience with King Herod, who is the king by decree of the Roman government. He's a vassal, it's a vassal state, and they, they set him up as a sort of puppet king to, to rule the nation of Israel. And so Matthew chapter 2 says that when the uh, Magi, uh, when, when King Herod heard this, because what they do is they come, to, they come to, 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 to Israel and they get an audience with the king and they say, we've come looking for the king of the Jews. We've seen a star that arose and we're going to, there to worship him. The problem with that is there is a king, right? And so when he hears that news that they're looking for a king whose star has risen, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem was with him. Now the question is, why is Jerusalem disturbed? Well, because everybody who knows the story of King Herod knows that he's a murderer. He killed his own boys. He killed his wife because he thought she would raise up one of her sons in his place. When he hears about Jesus being in Bethlehem, he sends out soldiers to kill all the baby boys in and around Bethlehem were two years young, uh, old and younger. Like He's a murderer, so when he's disturbed... Everybody else is disturbed. You see, the, you see the correlation there? But then look at this. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. So all of the religious people are here. So when the Magi say, we're coming to find the king of the Jews, we've seen his star, they're there. They're hearing the good news right there. And, and so he asked them, the priests and the teachers, where the Messiah was born, was to be born. They go through the scrolls. They look at Micah chapter 5, 2, and it says Bethlehem. Oh, Bethlehem of Judea, it says. That's where the Savior is going to be born. Now, I want you to notice this. The Magi leave this place. They travel five miles down to Bethlehem, and not one of the religious people decide to go with them. Five miles. Not one of them is curious enough to go with them. So the news is met with indifference and, and disbelief. They have the same opportunity to run down and do what the, what the Magi did, which was fall on their knees and worship him with exceedingly great joy and offer him gifts. Not one of them does. And yet we hear from the shepherds when they hear the good news that they said, let's go to Bethlehem and, and, and to see this thing. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph. Do you see the difference in, in responses? Because worship is our response to God for who he is and for what he's done. One of them are like, I don't even think that's a real thing. And the others go, oh, that's the good news. That's the thing we've been waiting, hearing about for centuries. And they run off. And I, and I bring all of this up during this season, this Advent season, because we're likely going to have one of these responses or the other. 
It's important that we understand we're either going to respond in a season with wonder and expectancy and joy because we're reading, we're understanding, or we're going to be indifferent to the news that should cause great joy. So is it any wonder then, in light of all that, that that, that God chose us to announce the birth of Jesus to shepherds? Is it any wonder then that when Jesus grows up, he calls himself in John 10, the good shepherd? That he identifies himself with shepherds, not religious elite. He identifies himself with what was called the the least rather than the greatest. So so back to verse 10 again. The, The angel says, I bring you good news that will, what? Cause great joy. Now he doesn't say, I bring you good news and great joy. This is a, this is a syllogism. It, it just means that something causes something else. That there's an assumption that if this happens, this will happen, right? So because of the good news that I'm announcing, all people will experience great joy. And this tells us that the great joy that we feel like is missing from our lives sometimes is deeply intertwined with connected to always The good news that Jesus Christ has come to save his people from their sins. So, like, I don't know if you have heard of C.S. Lewis. Um, He is a writer. He was a writer, one of the great, honestly, one of the great minds uh, in, in, I, I would say, in all of human history. People who are not believers read his writings because they're so profound and so deep. And by the way, I encourage you, if you've never read a C.S. Lewis book, you can go to any store and get them. Go on Amazon, go on your Kindle, wherever you get books, you'll find them there. And I just challenge you to read it. It'll deepen you in in ways. And he wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. He tells the story of growing up um, as, as a, in a church, but it was a kind of church that was rigid and not life-giving and it wasn't hope-filled. And so he, he walked away from this faith because of the kind of church he was raised in. And, and he became an atheist, and for many, many years, he, he, he identified himself as an atheist. And, and, and he said that the thing that brought him back to faith was the word joy. That, that he said he could not, in all of his searching, all of his wanderings, all of his trying to find what he had been looking for, all of it, um, he couldn't find anything that would cause lasting joy other than his relationship with Jesus, that he had discovered after all of these years of wandering and wondering that, that what the angel said to the shepherd um, was really the truth. The good news of Jesus will produce great joy, and it turned his life around. So, so think about that, and, and I want to go backwards to even one more verse, verse 9 here, and this is where we're going to finish today. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, say this word with me, shone around them, and they were terrified. So I I want you to understand this, that when the angels, we we catch this picture in the the night sky, bright, glorious angels, the the, the glory is not from them. The glory is the glory of who? Of the Lord. So they've been in proximity to God in in heaven, and and the, the, the glory of God is so bright there that when they come to announce it, the glory of God is, is radiating from them, from, their in, from who they are. It's, it's a bright and beautiful and amazing glory. And, and if we, we could read this verse and just pass by it, but there's so much here that will help us understand, I believe, this Advent season and why it should produce glory and joy and, and worship in us. The, the word glory here in, in the ancient text, the, in the Hebrew, it's, it's kabad. Chabad, C-H-A-B-O-D. 
I don't know Hebrew. I just know that word, so I'm not that smart. So anyways, um, it, means, it means weight. It means um, heavy or heaviness, but not in an oppressive way, but it's just in a, whoa, are, are you kidding me? Like glory. Like it's, and so whenever you read about the glory of God, like in Isaiah, Isaiah says that he saw the, the glory of God and, and, and it, made it, it caused him to turn. It made him feel like he was unclean because of the radiance. It was just magnificent. The glory, whenever you see the glory of God show up in the Bible, there's a weightiness to it. There's a shadow. So you can't have a shadow without what? Without light. There's a shadow that gets cast by Jesus' glory that outshines all of the other things. So, so I want to tell you about that glory for a minute because we can experience this. John, in the book of Revelation, John is, John is the John, not John the Baptist. There's two Johns. There's more than two, but there's two central Johns. There's John the Baptist and there's John the Beloved. John the Beloved is the friend of Jesus. Like if you read the Gospel of John, you see G- G- uh, John's constantly inserting himself in his own story. Like, hey, I'm his best friend. I was the one closest to him. I, at one point he says, I leaned over and, and, and kind of laid my head on his shoulder and passed out, tired, whatever. But when, when John shows up in Revelation, and he's on the Isle of Patmos, and he gets caught up and he sees Jesus, his best friend, Do you know the response that he gets when he sees the glory, the radiance, the beauty? It says, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. Such is the heaviness, the weightiness of the glory of God. John goes on and says that heaven is lit up by Jesus, that there is no need for any other kind of light, but just the radiance and the beauty and the splendor of Jesus is all we'll ever need there. So so let me unpack that a bit. Because it's going to help us understand Advent. In, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, 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 and into the letters, or the epistles as we call them, the, all, all the other writings after that, they're all letters written to various people. We see that Jesus is the ultimate reality. That there are all the things that we see, hear, feel, taste, and sense. We, we especially pay attention to those things at Christmas. We love the sounds. We love the sights. We love the smells. We love the tastes. And, 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 but those are all reality, but there is an, there's some reality above all that, and it's Jesus. That, so it teaches, the Bible says that he's before all things. Before anything existed, he was there. He's behind all things. Like he's the, the force that causes the creative world to happen. He's in it, and he's through all things. The Bible teaches us this. So, so Colossians 2.17 it's talking about the, 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 the law and the requirements and, and the feast and all of the observances that, were, that were, like were mandated in the Old Testament and are not mandated in the New Testament. And, and he says all of those things just cast, they were just shadows. But the, but, but the thing that cast the shadows, the, the form that was, the light that was casting the shadows is Jesus, that he is the form that, and the light, the glory that cast all shadows. Now, so, so we're talking about glory. So, so in the book of Job, Job is a book in the Old Testament. Most writers say that, it, or scholars say that it was the original book, the first book of all the Bible. And, and, and it's Job has had, he's a wealthy man. He loses everything horrifically. He gets boils and sores all over his body. He, he's grieving. His wife just tells him to curse God and die. So he has these friends who show up. And so the book of Job, if you've never read it, is mind-blowing. And, and, and they're having these discourse and these discussions, and they're attacking Job. And so in, in, in chapter 26, Job is responding to their attacks, not only to, on, on him, but on God. 
And, and, and he starts talking about the creation of the world and, and, and the glory and the splendor of the night skies. And, and I'm just using my, my own versions of it. He talks about the eclipse, the lunar eclipse, how the shadow of God, he says, passes, the, that, that God uses his cloud to cover the moon. He talks about the depths and the roar and the, and the power of the seas and all the beauty. He, he talks about the clouds and how they can hold vast amounts of water, but they don't ever fall. It doesn't always fall. And he's just blown away by the beauty and the creation and and the splendor and the majesty of God. And then he says this in verse 14, and these are but the outer fringe of his works. That all of the beauty, all the majesty of the mountains and all of the, the splendor, they're just the merest glimpse of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. So like the next time you hear the thunder clap or you, 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 you stand at, at an ocean where, like, like we have in, in Costa Rica or in, in Hawaii or wherever there's massive 15-foot waves coming in, just the thunder of that, the, 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 the wailing, the howling of the wind in a big storm, those are just the whisper that we hear of him. Who, who then, he says, can understand the thunder of his power. Job, Job is saying that everything that we can see from the stars to the Grand Canyon, from mountains to oceans, all are, are but a fringe of, but a slice of, but a sliver of the majesty and the glory of God. So I don't know if you've ever stood at the, at the edge of the Grand Canyon. It's been years for me, but no, no, nobody stands there at the edge of the Grand Canyon, looks at all of that and says, man, I'm a pretty big deal, Right? It just sucks the life out of you. It just sucks the, 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 the arrogance out of you. Nobody's ever climbed up Pikes Peak, or in my case, driven up Pikes Peak, because if you have to climb it, I'm, I'm out. Can, can I get a witness, somebody? I'm out. But nobody ever stands up there on Pikes Peak, 14,000 plus feet, looks at the Rockies and goes, man, I'm a pretty big thing. It just has a way of making us feel a little small, which I think is good. But, but if you're a believer, it makes us go, wow, God must be really, really huge. And we catch a glimpse of the glory that's shown on those angels. We catch a glimpse in those moments. So, so, so if we catch this glory, this, this majesty from Christmas, then we will get weight and depth and beauty like the shepherd saw. But if we miss it, if we miss it because our focus is only on the shadows and not the form, if we miss the glory and the splendor, all we get is a sweater. See what I'm saying? Like we can, we can have depth and beauty and weight from Advent or we can get a sweater. Like, like, I, like I don't know how, let me give you a Christmas example. On Christmas morning, depending on your family's tradition, maybe you're, you're the kind of family that just runs out there and they don't have to wait on everybody and just start ripping and gnashing teeth and shredding. Come on, any families like that, you're like, you guys go for it, right? Or are you guys the kind of family that's like, one at a time. And the kids are like, I'm going to cut you, man. Sorry if you're a new person here. Every now and then I'll flick out a knife for reasons I still don't know. But uh, I'm not violent, okay? Just FYI. But, but like the kids will be, you know, and it's like, it's like a drug to the little kids. You ever notice this? They're like, ah, yeah, can't believe they have toys. And then 12 seconds later they're out cold and drooling on the carpet, right? <laughs> Holding on their Zeppelin, you know, like Christmas story, anybody? Not Led Zeppelin, like the actual, anyways. Um, we, we love all of this. But they open their gifts, and, and if that's what we see on Christmas morning is our family's faces lighting up and all that goodness and all that glow, and we're like, man, this is the best day ever, and this is what happens for me. It's like so cool, so amazing. If that's all we get, then that's a pretty good morning, yes? But what if in the middle of all that joy, in the middle of my daughter's faces lighting up, or my wife being surprised by some gift, 
or, or me getting something good myself, what if in the middle of all that I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 7, where he says, if you then, parents, who, who by, by the love of God are evil, by comparison to the love of God, we're evil, right? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Like if, 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 if in the middle of me seeing a, a shadow of the glimpse of God in my family and, and, the, and my loved ones gathered around, if it dawns on me in that moment that, that I've given them my very best, but by comparison, my best is just a fraction how much more does my Father in Heaven love me, love my family, than I, than I can even comprehend? See, if I can get something like that, how much more? Ephesians 3.20 says it's more than you can ask or think or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. All of a sudden now it's more than Barbies and AirPod Pros. It's more than a sweater. It's more than the tree and the presents. Now all of a sudden there's something deeper. There's something divine when it dawns on me, how much do I love my kids? How much joy am I deriving from watching them do this? Oh, but the joy that is in my Father's heart for me and for my family is so much greater. See, now there's something divine on Christmas morning. It's not just the shadows. We see the form that casts the shadow. We catch a glimpse of the glory that the angels were emanating with. This is what Advent can bring us. This is what leaning into the story again and again all throughout this month can, can, can remind us of the greatness, the glory of what it looked like for God to come down in the person of Jesus. Listen, the trees and the sounds and the smells and the gifts, they're all good and of themselves and they will bring some joy, but we are meant for so much more. And the issue, thank you, the issue that is at stake is that Christ can appear to us in the shadows of Christmas with, with glory and weightiness and depth and power. But if we're not paying attention, we can, all we'll see are the shadows and we'll miss the form that casts the shadows. Colossians 1.16 says that we were made by God and we were made for God. Do you understand that? Not just, we all understand that we're made by God, but we miss the part about we're made for God. Like we're made for the glory of God. We were created for the depth and the wonder of God. And when we choose to be just like indifferent or ignore or miss altogether the beauty of this season, the form that casts all the shadows, the news that produces great joy when we really understand it, then it's like we're breathing airplane air instead of fresh mountain air. It's like instead of eating a healthy, wholesome meal that fills us up and makes us feel good, we're eating sugary snacks, and you can eat them and eat them and never feel full or fulfilled and eventually get sick on them. And is it any wonder that in a season that is meant to induce joy instead for many of us, it's anxiety and fear and depression. Why? Because we're missing the form that casts the shadows. And the shadows in and of themselves will never fulfill us the way that Jesus can and will if we understand him. And if you pause long enough and you ponder long enough the glory of the story, the majesty of, of God coming as Emmanuel, God with us, if you can catch the depth and the meaning, then you'll see in the shadows, which are beautiful by themselves, 
you'll see the brightness of his coming. You'll see the glory that's shown around them. And as God reveals himself to us through the stuff, the shadows of Christmas, our response becomes awe and wonder. And thank you, Jesus, for coming. Emmanuel, God with us. And the Bible says that he's everywhere to be seen by those who have eyes to see him and by those who have ears to hear him. He's there in all of the stuff, in all of the shadows, in all the things that we think are joy-filling, and they are. He's there in the middle of all of that. And my hope, that's what I'm praying. This is why I'm, I'm leaning in. I'm re- I, I gave you some Advent cal- uh, some Advent books last week, and I hope you went and grabbed one of those, and if you didn't, go grab one, but I'm leaning into all of them myself. I'm reading them all, because I desperately want God to reveal himself fresh and new to me again during this season. And that's my prayer, that, you, that we might be able to see him, see him in the presence, see him in the tree, see him in the tinsel if you still do that, see him at the dinner table. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that just says that our dinner table is just a, a kind of glimpse of what heaven's going to look like when you're gathered with your family and your friends, the ones you like. Come on, amen, somebody. When you're there and you're looking at that table and you're, you're eating the best things that you have, that's just a glimpse of what it's going to be like in heaven. You can see him there because this is what you're created for is to see him as he is. And, and, and if you never see Jesus but you only see the shadows, then all the weightiness is gone. You miss the glory. And you've got what the rest of culture has, just the shadows, but they miss the form that casts the shadows at Christmas. Jesus, God with us. This, this is, I think, what Peter was saying in 1 Peter 1 and 8, and he says, And though you have never seen him, yet I know that you love him. At present you trust him without being able to see him, and, and even now, through the shadows, listen now, lean in, even now through the shadowy things, he brings you a joy that words cannot express and which has in it a hint of the glories of heaven. You see this? Even now, and, and Paul is writing this, or sorry, Peter is writing this to his beloved friends. And he lets us know in the verses right before this that they're going through really hard times. There, there is grief and there's sorrow. They've been scattered. They've been persecuted. And they're going through tremendous troubles. But he says, to those of you who, who love him, even though you've never seen him, Those of you who in the middle of all of your troubles and all of your distractions and all of your hurts and all of your pains, that that, that you trust him even though you can't see his hands working in your life. To those who hang in there through all of the hard times and the hurts and the pains, he says, for those of you who do that, he's going to bring you a kind of joy which words cannot express, which people cannot make sense of. And in them, it has a hint of the glories of heaven. Joy unspeakable, full of glory. Paul says that for now, we can only see him through glass dark, darkly. That's what he says. We can only get a glimpse of him. It's hazy. It's unseen. But in heaven, listen now, in heaven, we're going to see him, he says, then we're going to see him face to face. We're going to behold the glory and the beauty and the splendor. We're going to see him for who he really is and for what he's really done. And do you know what our response is going to be throughout ages long? Worship. 
for now. It's hazy. Just a glimpse. Just a hint. But just enough to be joy-inducing in our hearts. And so here's my challenge quickly. Two things. No, number one, this is, this is what you need to do now in response. Make room. Carve out time in your life. Carve out time in your schedule. Make room. Do you remember the first the story? Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem, and they go, and there's no what? No room in the inn. Don't you imagine the innkeeper now, and with the benefit of hindsight, it's like, wish I had that to do over again. Like, I, I, I promise I wouldn't have done that, right? We're not going to throw him under the bus, right? There was a census going on. He doesn't say an overt no like Herod does, like the, like the religious people does. Instead, it's more of a, more of a, more of a default no. It, it's my life is too full. My schedule is too busy. I have too many things to do during the season. I have too many gifts to buy. I have too many meals to cook. I have too many cookies to bake. It's not an aggressive no. It's, God, I'm too busy right now for more of you in my life. And my challenge for you is to make room because Herod, the chief priest, they missed the wonder of Christmas and you and I will too if we don't make some room to see through the shadows Jesus who casts all shadows. And that might mean that you might have to say no to some things. You, you, you know, you don't have to say yes to everything in this season. You don't have to do it all. You don't have to go to every party. Some of them you have to go because your boss makes you. But, but you, you don't have to get caught up in the consumerism and you're like, uh, you know you're talking to, man, right? You can, you can slow down. You can contemplate and you can let the joy and the wonder of Christmas come to you fresh and new again. The, the second one is, is part two of the same thing. W- once you've made room, then pay attention because God will reveal himself to you. I promise you. If you set aside time and you make space and maybe you get on your knees first thing in the morning like I've been doing this last week and just going, God, I'm the one that needs you. I'm the one that needs you. God will reveal himself. If you pay attention, you'll start to see not all the negative news that surrounds us all day, every day. By the way, your, your, your soul is not meant to hear all that news. Turn it off. Well, how will we know what's going on? You can't help but know what's going on. Turn it off, man. Make some room for the glory and the grace and the goodness. And you start paying attention to the shadows, to all the things that are happening. What will happen in your heart is gratitude will come. Thank you that you came, Jesus. And as gratitude builds in your life, so will joy. Gratitude and joy go hand in hand. Instead of complaining, if you just make room for gratitude, joy will come. And here's what I know about paying attention. The more attentive I am to what God is doing in the world, through all of the stuff, all the shadows, the more naturally my response will be joy. Make room and pay attention. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.